Design You Podcast, Episode 14. To celebrate the success of the first 10 Design You Podcast episodes, I have released the Lessons from the Drawing Board ebook, where I share with you the wisdom, the passion, the insights, and the themes captured by our first 10 inspiring guests. To download your copy, pop over to tinamurray.com and be inspired to live your best life. Are you ready to create the life you really want? Welcome to the Design You Podcast, where I talk to everyday people who know life can be done differently with a clear mindset, positive attitude, openness to growth, and their willingness to take life to the next level. Get ready to design you. Hi guys, Tina Murray here. Today I'm welcoming to the drawing board, Paul Broadfoot. Paul is an entrepreneurial strategist who helps business leaders and their teams to identify high growth opportunity in times of rapid change. Paul identifies and works with intrapreneurs on business model innovation to create new markets whilst fostering fresh approaches to a change ecosystem within their organizations. Join me as I chat with Paul about accelerating rapid change. Hi, Paul. Thanks so much for joining me on the Design New Podcast. How are you today? I am great. Thank you, Tina. That's fantastic. Glad to hear. Now tell me, what are you doing right now to design your best life? I've been working on that for a very long time, actually. Uh, The main thing I'm doing at the moment is I wanted to write a book a little while ago and I wanted to make that book introduce something else to the business world that hadn't been done before. So uh, once I went through that process, I felt that that was a bit of a milestone. And so now I'm leveraging that book and and going around working with businesses to help them with my uh, thoughts or my intellectual property. So that's really great. Okay. So tell us about the book. What's it called and what what can it teach us? All right. So if you're already in a market, you're a larger organization already in the market and things are changing, Mm -hmm. the, the sands are shifting beneath your feet. Mm-hmm. it uh, can help you improve. So basically it's called Accelerate, mm-hmm. Innovate Your Business Model, Disrupt Your Market and Fast Hack into the Future. So it's written to basically help leaders uh, not get behind and not start to become stressed about yeah. their results and to really avoid what's more of a purpose of mine, which is just lazy strategy making people redundant. So lazy strategy can lead to large organisations getting rid of people and that's not very cool. No, and this day and age, things are moving so quickly. Our markets are changing. People are probably more educated on what they're looking for and so we feel like we've got other choices and other places we can go. On two levels, we can do that as a consumer but we can also do it as an employee. And the old days of you stay in a company, you start when you're 17 and you leave when you're 65, They've gone. People are swapping and changing quite frequently now. So how does it help um, companies with that? Obviously, turnover is a huge cost to them just in, as you said, even just intellectual property, but where they're, where they're going, all that. I've heard that it takes over a year really to replace someone with their efficiencies and, and how, they, how they work if you've lost a staff member to get someone else to take up after them. So how can um, businesses use your, your tools to really get on track and to keep their people as long as they can. Well, I think that's interesting from two perspectives, isn't it? You've got 
organizations trying to keep people and you've got people really looking for purpose they're looking for their own thing they're looking to design themselves design you which is what your podcast is all about and there's a balance between that between organizations attempting to build trust and tribes and mm-hmm. get traction on what they need to do. So I think those three things are very important mm. or on the agenda of a lot of CEOs and organisations. And then you've got people saying, well, hey, I see these people working with themselves or I see these people uh, who are following what they think is their, what they feel is their their purpose in life and, and taking more risks in doing that. And the gig economy, which is just growing extremely rapidly, is a bit of a competitor to organisations and keeping their best talents. And mm-hmm. I think my personal journey is probably the most relevant thing. So that's what I've done. I've, done, I've written a book and I've, I'm helping organisations because that's what I want to do and that's mm. not what everyone necessarily wants to do. Sure. But how I've gone about that is probably the design new piece. And, you know, I'm part of the gig economy. I, I do gigs <laughs> and, you know, I, I'm a solopreneur and, I help entrepreneurs as much as uh, large businesses. So I've got a couple of startups I work with, with people awesome. following their passion. Yep. Yeah. And how much of what you've learned in from your career in the past, you were in the corporate world for a little while, <laughs> just a little while, and how, how much of that are you bringing into this? I assume that I, I think that's the beauty of our life. We have all these experiences and they, they do help us no matter what, even if we change careers completely yeah I got a long way I think through my career and something was was missing I was always trying to change things all the time and I was getting frustrated working in large organizations and the lack of pace of change I think that's very common Mm. so I always knew there was something I wanted more but it took me a long time to make some breakthroughs I think and those breakthroughs came when I started working with a coach when I started working with mentors and I started to look at the the soft skills I mean I originally did engineering I learned stuff I learned theories I learned in the business world I learned about leadership I learned about managing people I learned about all that all that sort of stuff I didn't learn much about managing me I don't think Mm -hmm. and so once I started to get a bit of coaching and once I started to think about all the other stuff, you know, the life balance and what was I really trying to do and once people started to ask me questions like, what's your big game? You know, what do you really want to be doing? What's work you love? Mm. So I then took some big risks. You know, I, I left corporate world and started the business and then I started another business and I did, you know, all sorts of development on myself. And I, would, I always call that the soft stuff, the soft skills, as opposed to the hard skills. Yep. And I learned how to improve businesses. But, yeah, I think there's a lot to making sure you're doing what you want to be doing. Mm. And how do you think people can find what it is that they want to do? You're obviously speaking with lots of different people. If you're going to big corporations, you're hearing lots of stories. Is there a common thread that you're finding coming through? I know we're all individual, but is there a common thread? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do this with people. I find a lot of business owners in the SME space that are in businesses they're not in love with and they're not in love with their jobs and they're, it's their own company. Wow. So the, the way I help them or the way I get them to, I guess, gravitate towards what they should be doing is it's pretty basic but it sounds, it sounds basic but it's hard to get. 
So what do you love and what pisses you off is basically two questions I ask them because it's those extremes of emotions that inform us. Mm. So what are they absolutely passionate about and what is the thing that they're trying to do and what do they really hate doing? And then if you take that in big picture and then you boil it back down to day to day, what do you do in your week or your day that you love? What's Mm -hmm. the best part of what you do? What's the worst part of what you do? And and get them doing more of what they really like. It's good for everyone and then they can backfill the things that they hate, which is what other people might like. So they're big things, those extremes, what, yeah. what lights you up and what absolutely gives you the irrits <laughs> are two good ways to find where you should be changing direction. And do you find with some of the people that you work with that that's a really, as you said, it's a simple concept, but is it something that you find a lot of people haven't thought about or it's something they're pushing to the back of their mind? Yeah, we're very indoctrinated. Firstly, it's not easy. It's not easy to find what is the best thing for you to do. It's not easy. And and one of the things to do is is experiment and try different things. And to, you know, I feel like I'm on a lifelong journey towards that and I get closer and closer and closer but never arrive. So that's, (laughs) it's a bit, it's very important to enjoy where you're at now as opposed to just trying to get to the end point and then then everything will be good then. Mm -hmm. So... I'll learn that it's important to be happy right now, yes. not if I have this, this and this, then I'll be happy then yep. and you might never get there. So I think that's a big thing around self-learning. Mm. But I think that it's not easy for people to find what they're meant to do and people are used to settling. They're used to being in a job they don't like or working for a boss they don't like or working in a company that's become like an anchor for them mm. and I would encourage them to take more risk and and to do something a bit different because it applies in everything, isn't it? More risk, more reward. Yep. And sometimes you've got to go backwards a bit before mm-hmm. you can go forwards much more. Mm-hmm. So it's that dip. There's yep. a great book by Seth Godin called The Dip. Mm-hmm. And he, he tries to identify when you are in a dip versus when you're in a hole and you're not going to get out of and that And, you know, when you should push through and when you should change direction, that sort of stuff. And yeah. So I think that's really important. Yeah, for sure. But that fear is what holds a lot of people back. And there's a lot of excuses that we all use that keep us stuck. Oh, I can't leave this job because I've got a wife and three kids or whatever our excuses are, whatever we want to believe at the time. You stepped past that. You've got a family yourself. You've stepped past that to take some risks and you've got similar risks to a lot of us. So what do you think is in people who do step up to take that risk? What was it for you at least? Look, I think that's a really, it's a really tough thing in some ways because I would say that some people would have not been in as strong, strong situations as I was to take my initial risk of leaving corporate. Sure. So I had, I had an ability to do that with less risk than say someone who is in a sole, they're a sole parent or they're in a, in a relationship with the major breadwinner. And so there's different levels of risk. I think that's one thing to consider. I think there's another thing to consider whether you flick a switch and you're all in or all out. Mm. I think there's ways to gravitate towards things yes, and still be successful. And I think the the people are wired differently on risk as well. True. And I think it, it comes down to for people to ask themselves, what if, it, what if in five years' time or in 10 years' time where I look back on my life, am I going to have been satisfied with where I'm at? Mm. And if the answer to that is not a doesn't look good, then you really do need to move and change something. 
but I get the I get the people quite fairly are concerned because I see failure. I see startups fail. I see people jump out of corporate, try and start a business that doesn't work, and they go back to a job. Sure. I think they learn a lot in that, and I think that helps them a lot and it helps them get a better job and know what they like and all those things. But there is a risk, uh, but you you can't stay somewhere if you're not happy or if you're not fulfilling who you could be. Mm. Yeah, there's repercussions, isn't there, throughout the rest of our life. It's amazing how much one job can affect other areas of our lives when we are unhappy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Even pushing in a job, I do a lot of work with, People in, in large organisations that are called entrepreneurs, so they're entrepreneurs, they've got a tendency to want to change things, but they, they're unhappy in their job. And you know, there's a lot you can do to really push, your, mm. push the boundaries in an organisation before you need to jump out. Yeah. You can really try and change a lot, Yep. change who your manager is, change the department you're in, redefine the scope of your own role until you get told told off there's so many things and normally when you do things like that you, you're a higher performer yes. and you do better and if it may well just satisfy you as well that sounds like you where you saying you you came from and is entrepreneur a word that you've I've never heard it before is that a word that you've come up with yeah it's it's a rarer word but i guess it's been around you know richard branson would talk about it okay. or steve jobs used to talk about it. it's about it's about people in larger organisations acting more entrepreneurially, so they're taking more risks internally. And it was actually coined by a guy called Gifford Pinchot, and he wrote the Ten Commandments of Entrepreneurship, and it's they're quite funny to read, some of them. But it's basically anyone who wants to make some changes in an organisation and wants to absorb a little bit of risk internally in doing that. Mm. And with a lot of, especially large organisations, uh, do you see that it, it? They say that it comes from the top. The culture comes from the top. Do you see that that is true? The culture, the culture comes from. It tends to come from the business and its history more, okay. more so because it's hard to change culture. If if a CEO today said they wanted to change the culture of their large organisation, the organisation's likely to win that battle unless okay. they're an exceptional, exceptional leader. But the I think change, the way I talk about change often is it's a bit like a virus. You know, they talk about entrepreneurship and and um, Gifford Pinchot would, would talk about the corporate immune system and when, yeah. when it saw change would kill it. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I like to go about entrepreneurship is you really need to infect the host mm-hmm. and make great change on a very small little team, nimble team level. And people see that, then they want to become part of it, then it joins and it gradually grows and grows and grows. So it is a bit like a virus that infects the host. And that's the best way to achieve innovation, disruption, culture change, because a CEO getting up in front of everyone and just saying, hey, Mm. let's uh, all be more innovative, let's take more risk and let's do this and do that. It's very hard to change that way. Absolutely. And we've all heard the talk if we've been in corporate we've heard the talk and I've often seen people roll their eyes when someone does stand up and things like that so it's about showing that the differences are coming and you are making change so that's why that nimble change makes complete sense because it's it's small it's grassroots really is what you're saying and it's getting everybody involved who wants to be involved coming back to what you're talking about what bits do you like and how can you make what you're working in work for you as well 
Yeah. Yeah, so- and probably the exception to that rule from from my perspective is if you have a purpose and, you, and perhaps your mm. organisation hasn't had a strong purpose or hasn't defined its purpose and if people can put their own purpose and connect that somehow to what their organ- the organisation they're working for, then I can see quite rapid change. When they, yeah. we can, when they can do the why bit, work yeah. out why everyone's doing what they're doing, that can be much more rapid change than the usual efforts on culture. Yeah. But if people don't fit in a company, should they be saying, uh, staying? I, I get what you say. I don't. I also don't believe people necessarily need to take a big jump. It's more about maybe that gradual change working your way out if it's yeah. not, if it's not, you can't take the risk uh, for whatever reason. But what do you, if you don't like somewhere, is it worth working on it? How do you know when it's time to jump and when it's time to keep working? Yeah, you, you have to answer that question that what lights you up. And if you're not playing your bigger game, your version of what your bigger game is, if you're not loving getting out of bed to go to work in the morning, I mean, people, I love doing what I do. Mm. I, I get to work with people I like to work with and I get to work on stuff I, I love to work with. And and when I start working with another business for me, it's a bit like a Christmas present. You know, <laughs> I get to unwrap it and find out the competitors and what business model they use, what's unique about this business. You know, I do this with businesses like others, like you're doing it with people essentially. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And you can tell by how I'm talking about it that I love it. You can tell yeah. that I'm smiling as I'm talking about it. So if you can't do that about your own work and you don't want to get out of bed and go to work, okay, not every day we get it, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes you'd rather go to the beach. <laughs> but if more days than not, you're dragging yourself into work, you've got to make a change. Why would you? Why would you stay and settle? There's yeah. so much help available now. You know, all this disruption that people talk about, well, it's all for the consumer and it's all for the individual. There's so much help out there, Tim Ferriss and Tony Robbins and, and podcasts like you're running. There's so many great, great stuff. Just get on some stuff. You know, If you're not experimenting, if you're not reading, if you're not listening to new things, if you're not watching TED Talks, you know, expose yourself to different stuff mm. and you'll very quickly become satisfied with settling. Yes. Why do you think people do settle? Because they're scared. You know, humans are wired to be risk averse. We, it's been studied that we're twice as likely to avoid pain than we will move towards a gain. So mm. we're twice as likely to accept the status quo than to take a risk. And that varies by person, of course. But we're scared. Basically, most of the time, people are worried about the negative things. And you've heard people around you complaining about their jobs. And, you know, people lose credibility with me if they do that for more than a year. I mean, move, do something, Mm -hmm. stop whining. Either make the best of what you're doing and get on with it or stop whining. But for goodness sakes, don't, don't just stay. Don't just stay without turning into something that you're enjoying. Why yeah. would you? <laughs> I think some people like this, like the idea of whinging and the drama associated with it, but it's long term. It's it's not going to help you at all. <laughs> yeah, I, I, absolutely. And there's things that you know I used to say as a manager. You'd hear things on the grapevine that you were never supposed to hear about your own management style, or about this, or about that, or about the the person that had to be fired and, and you know, what everyone didn't know was perhaps there was a harassment issue and you could make that public and someone had to 
had to leave the company. So people would whine and that's all cool, right? There's always going to be that kind of chat around, you know, the, the coffee machine. That's cool. Everyone likes to have a bit of a whinge. But if it's all the time and it's about everything about your job, then firstly, no one wants to listen to you anymore. <laughs> and, and secondly, it's a bit more serious. Mm. And how do you manage people through and companies through change? Because as a designer, that I've always felt that's my biggest job at going into companies and helping them with their renovations is not really about what carpet I put down. It's about managing their staff through the change and all the why are we doing this, what's going to be different, how can we make this different. To me, it's always been a people piece It's been, and it's been about that fear around what does this change really mean for us or more specifically, what does this change actually really mean for me? Because in the end, it all comes down to us. We are egocentric. So how do you manage people through change? There's a great book called Switch mm-hmm. and it talks about three things for change. It talks about you've got a, there's a rational part of our, our brain and emotional part of our brain and then there's the situation that we're placed in. So when we want change, we have to appeal to people's rational side, you know, why is it that we're making a change, what are the benefits, etc. Mm-hmm. But they won't make those changes even if they think they're good unless they're emotionally attached to the change. Mm-hmm. So what what's uh, compelling them and giving them energy behind the change. And then all of that can be undone if you don't have the right situation. So there's countless studies in behavioural economics where you put people into situations and they behave differently. It's this called nudge theory. And there was a famous experiment that they ran in a college in the US where they just ran a mock prison. So they made half the students prisoners and half the students guards and they had to stop the experiment. I think it was after about 10 days because, you know, the the uh, guards had become abusive and the power went to their head kind of thing and the, the prisoners started misbehaving and, and behaving like prisoners. And so the whole thing was all uh, generated from a situation. Wow. And so there's a lot to say we eat healthier food when we are nudged in a certain way from a behavioural economics perspective. So if we put, if we had a a buffet and we had three quarters of it was healthy food and a quarter of it was unhealthy food, we'd get more healthy food eaten than if it was the other way around. Mm -hmm. It's as simple as that sometimes. Just change the environment, change the situation, you can get more change. Yeah. And I know every company and every person and every entrepreneur and entrepreneur you're speaking with is different. But is there some behavioural things that you see are really helpful for people to be able to move forward and to be able to find out what it is that they uh, they want and want to be able to do in their lives? Yeah, I, I think there's a tendency when we're unsure is to think as opposed to do. Mm-hmm. And I think lots of learning happens by doing. And so whenever you're concerned your perceived risk, if you're in a dark place, most of the time the best thing is to take some action. There's a great TED talk from a a military guy in the US about making your bed every morning and then you've done something for the day already and sets you (laughs) up well. I just think that it it is about taking some action Mm. and if you can 
I've even just started meditating lately and it's something new that I've found to do, which I've found very helpful for focus, getting rid of distraction and, yeah, balance as well. Mm. So we're talking a lot about work here, but I think it's it's um, work. I get a lot of motivation about work, but not everyone does. Some people get more motivation out of health or fitness sure. or family or friends or yeah. holidays. And so all those things, you know, my balance has more work than that, that those other things in there. Yep. It depends what your values are. You know, people who say, I've always loved to cook, but they didn't ever cook mm-hmm. or want to cook. So yep. I watched Jamie Oliver. I think it's amazing what he does with those five ingredients on TV. So I'd love to do that. I feel like I'd love to do it, but I don't like to cook. So that's weird, right? <laughs> so, so I'm not, I'm not going to cook. It's, it's yeah. just not going to, not one of my highest priorities, but you know, mine's a 10 minute very quick thing when I do it. Yeah. But people need to find that that balance for them and it's different categories for different people. Yeah, so to bring in the Jamie Oliver, different courses for different people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and the so, way he talks about it, like is there any doubt he's not doing what he loves to do? The way he talks about food and the, the mm-hmm. language he uses, he's found you know, everyone should have that, right? What What's stopping you? Yeah. You know, get out there and do it. And so, yeah, balance is so important to to our lives and and what it is that we want. As you said, it's different for everybody. And do you, are you finding more and more that people going to companies or they're starting out on their own business, really looking to have some of that balance or what we call our own freedom in our lives? Do you feel it's become something that we are expecting now for a lifestyle? Yeah, there's no doubt things have changed. There is. Yeah. There's no doubt that a lot of the things we're exposed to are changing our perspectives on things. Even I read an article this morning that we're conditioned to have three meals a day and and perhaps that's not best for our ageing process, but that's just something that we do. And we have the older generations have come through and it's, you know, you have a job, you keep a job. But I think because the world has improved and it has from a consumer perspective, Mm. things are more disposable, more affordable, there's more. Mm. And so I think it's a bit like Maslow's hierarchy when when you don't have any water, you need water. You don't have oxygen, you need oxygen. When you don't have food, you need food. If you don't have shelter, you, you need shelter. But we have all those things and it's mm. easy. So mm. what do we need when it's not about buying things anymore? Then it's about meaning. So what is the meaning? So moving from a focus on your life and your career and money to what is the meaning of my life and career and work and and that I think is is what people are demanding these days. That's why trust is low in big organisations. They're not, for the large part, dealing with those individual needs anymore. Okay. And people need that. And how could a company deal with those individual needs? It would be difficult when you've got a company of thousands of people and all these different individuals. I think it's it's exposure, training, mentoring, coaching, reverse mentoring, and flexibility. Mm. If you give people some autonomy, this is the big thing. If you give people autonomy and ownership, they will start doing the things that they are passionate about. And so their output will go up. Mm-hmm. They'll be happier because they've got more energy for what they're interested in. Yep. And then they'll start powering into that area. So it is about giving more 
it's more time and more autonomy to people. That's where you'll get the whole, you know, engine in an organisation is probably only running about two out of eight cylinders mm-hmm. because not everyone's doing what they love. Yeah. So doing what they have to. Yeah, for sure. And I, I remember having a discussion with someone about them when they were working from home. They actually said that they felt like they worked harder because just to keep that trust up, they made sure that they made sure that they were delivering and it could be seen what they delivered. Yeah. So they actually felt like they got more done when they were at home. There was probably less distractions as well. And so there was just a discussion about how companies not trusting people. Often you're probably going to have people who are wanting to prove that you can trust them and you're probably going to get more out of them. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot in that. I, I was interviewed recently about IBM recalling their workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, they pioneered some of the work from home stuff and, and they recently gave people 30 days to get back into an office or they were redundant. And it was a, a very strange move, but they've been struggling for a long time now. Mm-hmm. But as part of that, interview I did some research and there's all these studies about productivity being higher when people get to work from home and it varies a little bit by job but my take on that is a lot of productivity and output is being compromised in some of the new layout new office layouts where you can get interrupted and distracted at Mm. will by anyone all this open plan stuff yeah so I'm a big fan of one or two days from home and the rest of the the week in the office and there's plenty of evidence around that it's good for everyone Mm. Yep. Yeah. And that flexibility to be able to pick the kids up from school and, you know, spending time with them or taking your mum to the doctor if that's what she needs is, is yeah, it's, it's part of our holistic life. These, this stuff happens and unfortunately work between nine and five, not everything else can fit in amongst that. So but having that opportunity and flexibility is awesome. And you give more. Yeah, I, I know lots of people who are, I know lots of people who are mums. And, you know, this is the great thing about the world we're living in right now. I just see there's uh, women power coming to the fore. There's so many people I know in in my circles who are women helping women and they're coming out into the gig economy. They've got so much to offer. There's all these studies showing that startups with uh, more diversity perform more highly, corporates with more diversity at board level perform more highly. So there's this whole energy, I think, behind this this latent uh, capability that has not been treated fairly in many ways mm-hmm. uh, in the past and has not been tapped into. Sure. And so because they can enter the gig economy, work from home, have flexibility, I mean, I often get to drive my daughters to school or pick them up. I mm-hmm. work from home. I have a an office in the city, but I don't go into the city that much because I can get more done at home. Sure. People say, how do you work from home and not watch telly during the day? Well, A, you've got to do something you like first, (laughs) but I never have that problem. I work much longer hours than most people because it's what I like. Yeah. And you're not wasting time on a commute. Exactly. Save me hours. Yep. You don't have to put your makeup on every day. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I tend not to have to do that either. <laughs> but you did it for this podcast, surely. <laughs> Are you saying I need some? <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> I didn't do any. For, I didn't do any for the camera either. <laughs> Zoom hopefully will treat me nicely. <laughs> Talking of looking amazing, tell me. I always ask my guests, where do you see yourself in fifty years? What would your life be like in fifty years in your ideal life? 
Oh, in 50 years, I'd be, I'd be in a, like a beach uh, shack somewhere mm-hmm. uh, near the water. I think I'd still be in Melbourne. I might, I might um, visit an island somewhere every now and then, but be near water somewhere. Mm-hmm. I'd travel a fair bit. From a work perspective, I will have built a, um, a collection of work where I have uh, a following. So I, I'm helping people. I'm in service to people through my writing and publications and direct work, but I get to do that from anywhere in the world. Mm. And technology by in 50 years' time, there'll be robots everywhere. We'll be doing everything digitally. You know, I'll be able to be under a palm tree on doing Survivor <laughs> or something like that, and I'll be able to do my stuff from there. And yeah, hopefully my, you know, I've got a healthy family and, mm-hmm. and a great bunch of friends and all that important stuff. And it won't be about the, won't be about the works so much. I don't think. Nice. Nice. And how can people get in touch with you? What's the best way? I'm really easy to find. If you just Google Paul Broadfoot, you'll, I'll come up everywhere. I think <laughs> my website's paulbroadfoot.com. And if you're a leader in an organization, or even if you want to design the right business model for a mm-hmm. startup, my book Accelerate would help you a lot up okay. front. So yeah, it's Accelerate with an X. Okay, lovely. And if you could leave with us an idea on how we could design our lives, what would that be? What would tip be? I think the the best way to design your life is not to try and do it by yourself. Get a mentor, get an outside perspective, and that'll create some accountability as well as some different thinking and expose yourself. This is more than one thing, isn't it? But it's essentially exposing yourself to external inputs. Get a mentor, read, watch TED Talks. Yeah, Take a bit of risk. I love it. Thank you so much, Paul. You've shared so much and really appreciate your time and all the wealth that you've accelerated our learning with. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Tina. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. My pleasure. Are you ready to create the life you want? Pop over to tinamurray.com to grab your free copy of the Design New Cheat Sheet and start creating the life you want right now. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Design New Podcast. You'll find the show notes over at tinamurray.com. Can't wait to see what you create as you design it, communicate it and live it.